Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Okay, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. Here's Saltalamacchia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. All right, baseball is not boring. Once again, we have people here to prove that. Uh, as always, and today's guests are the illustrious MLB.com writer Ian Brown. Are you the longest? Where you? Where do you rank in longest tenured writers at MLB.com, Ian? Uh, I'm the top three or four. Yeah, look at you. Look at you. <laughs> the, 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 you're, you're officially an OG. But 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 Ian has jumped aboard uh, in this historic event, which is we are announcing once again. We're, it's been a week of announcements in our first week of, of podcasting for Baseballs and Boring, which, by the way, thank you to everybody for subscribing, rating, reviewing, and most importantly, listening. The numbers, I'm not even lying. This isn't a lie. The numbers have actually been through the roof uh, because I think that people are embracing the whole idea of it, and they also like uh, to hear Jonathan Papelbon talk about Bryce Harper. So, um, but, but hey, another announcement today. We announced yesterday that our Hollywood correspondent for Baseball Isn't Boring is Nate Cordry, actor Nate Cordry, which, by the way, part of the one of the greatest scenes in cinematic history in the movie The Heat. I don't know if anybody saw it, but uh, we can, we can re- reconvene about that later. And he is he uh, is a, a true, true baseball fan. He's an actor. He's out in Hollywood. He's going to spread the word. Already has given us some great stories about hanging out with Sean Penn and Sandy Bullock, which, again, I can't, I can't relate to. But that's what I do. That's why we bring in other people. And the new announcement, the new announcement, if I had a music by trumpets right now, I would play them. It is Players Only Thursday, hosted by Rich Hill. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, <laughs> so, so listen, Rich, I mean, we talked about this. You came on after the season. We were in the radio at WEI. And we've done this before where you just like talking about baseball, man. Like I like talking about baseball. And we had, oh, what, an hour that day? And we could we sat in the hallway for another half hour 
And we could have. Oh yeah. Ian's experience in this in the clubhouse as well. You know, it just <clears throat> we're just talking. We're just talking. So my point was to you was well, why don't we do that on the reg on a regular? And so you know, and 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 it's always better to me when you have guys who are comfortable with other guys who have gone through something similar. So you're going to have gone other guys along the way who are uh, former teammates, teammates, other, you know, other players, whatever it is, much like last night after the game, sure enough, Nick Punto and Josh Beckett, former teammates. Yeah. yeah. They jump on and the dynamic is, it's totally different. It's like they're back on the team playing again. This shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, so, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Rich, thanks, man. Thanks for doing all of this. And uh, I look forward to all of our conversations. Oh, thank you guys. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, anytime we get a chance to talk baseball and, and spread some knowledge and, you know, help, help coaches, help kids, help, you know, families deal with whatever it might be with, with the game or, or, you know, parts of the game to find out about or do, you know, little insights that they might not know is always enjoyable. It's funny you said you know, and, and we since we've been doing this baseball is a boring thing. It's and I talked to with Nate Cordry about this. It's like if everybody has a, has different stories, but they have a lot of similarities. And one of them is walking into the ballpark for the first time. And I'm going to ask Ian this as well. But I whether you know we're doing the book with Joe Kelly, uh, damn near perfect game out on March 14th, and. And when I'm talking to whoever it is, you know, um, John Hamm or Rob Lowe or whoever it is, one constant theme is that first time you walk into a park. And for yeah. Nate, so what Nate said yesterday, because he's a he's a Boston area native, and he said, yeah, of course. I remember the green monster. I yeah. remember, the, you know, the uniforms obviously being whiter than white could be. Yeah. And I remember the smells. And he said, I remember the smells. And the three things or the four things he brought up was the smell of the grass, the smell of the dirt, and the combo, the lethal combination of the smell of cigar and urine. Which, <laughs> which, 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 by the way, so we talk about, and I'm going to ask each of you guys, like, to give you, give me that before we get into like our topic of the day, to give me your memories of that first time walking in because. When he says the combination of the smell of the cigars and urine, it's a different time. And you guys both yeah. grew up in the Boston area as well. <laughs> it right? And it's a time which has come and gone because of two things. Number one, you aren't allowed to smoke in the ballpark, right? right? And yeah. number two, no more troughs. Yeah, no the troughs. Right? No the more troughs were great. Those were great. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's measuring up. Yeah, well, that's what he said. That's what Nate said. He's like, I was a kid. It was my first experience of, of witnessing the human body at Fenway Park. I'm like, yeah, yeah, the great yeah. game of baseball. Oh my uh, gosh! So, so, Rich, what 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 do you remember about your first time? I mean, I would imagine it was so, first ballpark was Fenway, right? Major League. First park. ball, yep. First Major League Park was Fenway. Uh, I just remember you know, waiting over off of uh, Lansdowne Street. I believe it was Gate E, if I'm, if I'm correct on saying that, right? Because it's not too far from the studio there where we were that one right, day, yeah. right? So yeah. right up on the corner of uh, Lansdowne and drawing a blank, not Ipswich, uh, but it runs right by Caskin Flag and Brookline and Lansdowne. Yeah. Yep. So when we get off the T, the we take the T in, um, 
stand, uh, get off of the green line, right? And then come up, uh, you know, over the bridge, you come down through the bridge, you know, everybody's selling whatever. I remember there was this guy that always sold peanuts and he had this whistle. He had a certain whistle and he always, you know, he had peanuts, he had all sorts of pistachios, he had macadamia nuts. I don't know. He'd roast, roasted, roasted, roasted nuts. He was selling on the corner. So I just remember that guy was constantly there. And, um, anyway, the first time coming in and then you're anticipating, you're waiting in line. Uh, and then the gate would open, it would, it would the, the roll door would open, right? And you'd hear, and the door would open up and, you, and everybody would just kind of flood in and get your ticket. They'd rip the stub off. Not like that anymore, right? Um, but you actually had a physical ticket and um, uh, walking up through gate E and then you uh, on the left-hand side was the little ramp that came up and then you took another left and then bang, there it was. Fenway, you know, it was right there. It was... You, you could feel the anticipation though. You could, you could smell like the, fr- the air was getting a little bit fresher because you were coming out from that, you know, that urine smell. And then <laughs> as you took, took the left, uh, you know, there was the most perfect piece of grass in, in, in uh, the city of Boston. So, but yeah, that's, that's what I remember. And then seeing the uniforms and the guys, I was like, Oh my gosh, just like, you know, beautiful major league uniforms. And, you know, you could tell like they were just, I don't know, everything, you know, the, the baseball is the sound of the bat, the ball coming off the bat, um, you know, the distinct sound when the ball would hit the green monster, you know, it kind of makes that deadened thud that hasn't changed, you know, even now when we're out there for batting practice, you still hear it. It brings back, you know, those memories of coming into coming into Fenway, which is which is amazing. But the but the thing that I do remember is the sticky, the sticky, uh, you know, the uh, the floors, how sticky the floors were. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from all the soda and beer and whatever. Um, uh, but, yeah, those, those are the memories that I have of coming up. But the smells, I would say, the smells, I would say, is the hot dog bun and the hot dogs, right? Obviously, you did have that, you know, that urine and cigar smell. I definitely, I have, that's coming back to me now. And uh, also, uh, just the, you know, the, the popcorn-y kind of mixture with the hot dog bun. I don't know. That, 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 no, that's isn't, really isn't it crazy? And that's sort of what Nate said. It's like what he said, <laughs> what jumps to when you're talking about it, all of a sudden, now it's the smells, like the smell. And that's what he's like. Yeah. Like that is, it's, there's, to me, it was, I remember the green. And, and, and this is, I think that, you know, we talked to um, Andy Cohen and, like I said, Andy Cohen and John Hamm both came up uh, as St. Louis Cardinals fans, and they both said the same thing. And you don't say, well, you know, green for the Red Sox, obviously you're smacked in the face with the green monster. But I yeah. think that it's not – I think most ballparks are sort of have that green, like, whatever, that green backdrop. And they said Bush Stadium, same thing, like how green yeah. it is. Maybe it's yeah. the grass too. So, uh, but uh, Ian, you, I would imagine you have sort of a similar thing. Yeah. First of all, Rich, I want to apologize for my dog barking over your great story. Uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> don't worry. About Every day when the mailman comes, he gets uh, very excited. He was barking, oh, yeah. barking, in, barking yeah. in approval. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, uh, now, um, Rob and Rich, this this day was so meaningful to me. I still remember the date. You know, my first baseball game. At Fenway, I was eight years old. It was April 21st, 1980. It was uh, Marathon Monday. So one of those Patriots wow. Day, 11 a.m. game. And it was like one of the, it was like a day like today, like unseasonably, like just warm. It was like 75 degrees. 
And I really didn't know much about baseball at the time. My dad just thought it'd be fun to take me to a game. Um, so, you know, you go into Fenway and it's kind of dingy, like down in the concourse. And then you walk up the steps. We were sitting in the yeah. bleachers. You walk up those steps and you see that field and it just like, it just jumped at me. Like, it's just yeah. like the green, just how green the grass was. Like I had never seen, uh, it does, TV doesn't do that justice. You know no. what I mean? Like, you know, yeah. just seeing how green that grass was and seeing the green monster, seeing the, the players, you know, when you're eight years old, they just all look like kind of like these like uh, superheroes in their, oh. their white uniforms. And uh, it ended up being a, like a 10 to nine, like one of those Fenway slugfests where like Dewey and Fred Lynn and uh, Fisk and all these guys were hitting home runs. And uh, yeah, so they won the game 10 to nine. And I just, I fell yeah. in love with baseball that day, just being on the bleachers and, you know, you guys oh, yeah. remember people, people are belting the beach balls around. Oh yeah. As Rob likes to say, guys uh, were taking their shirts off. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's rich. I've always said this. Like, when did it stop? You know, back. <laughs> go look at pictures back when Ian's talking about like eighty. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, it's all people with cut off jean shorts, no shirts, and painters hats. Yeah, I was watching a game. There was a replay on the other day on Nesson, and uh, uh, guys were you know they panned out into the there was a foul ball. They panned over to the you know the stands. Guys, no shirts on. They. Had, you know, hats on backwards and like, you know, what you, like you said, jean shorts and everybody was just like the, everybody was like, so into the game. It was, it was a, it was a different kind of picture and a different image that I saw. And, um, you know, the interesting thing that Ian brought up though, is that, you know, for people that haven't, uh, or were, weren't going to Fenway in those years is that they were actual bleachers back then. They were actually yeah. just like metal bleachers, which was really cool. Yeah. yeah that's, what, that's what we were sitting on one of those long, uh, I think it was like actually like a maybe like a green plastic bench or, or something. Yeah. Um, and then just to finish, my, when we walked out of the park, um, Bill Rogers was just running by Kenmore Square. He was about to win. I think it was like his third or fourth Boston Marathon. And the crowd was going crazy for that. And um, wow. so when I got home that day, my mother, she said she I had this look on my face that she never saw before. And she was <laughs> like uh, basically saying, like, I just fell in love with baseball right away. And it's been like in my life, basically. Um, there hasn't been a day since then. I haven't, you know, thought about baseball in in, in some way. And, and cool. once once again, like my, I can't. While you were talking, I still can't get the image of like why they didn't like you have metal bleachers crammed in shoulder to shoulder next to some guy without a shirt on, like <laughs> sweating all over you, and they let that yeah. happen. It never, it never <laughs> happens now. But you know, this yeah. is much like analytics. It's the evolution of baseball, I guess. So there you go. And I think, uh, Rob, I think bleacher seats were $2 back then, too. So yeah. it was a yeah. $4 day for me and my dad. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, with some parks, that's still the case at $2 when you get to September. Let's just say that, put it that way. Um, anyway, so, Rich, like we said, we want this to be, you know, I, I think it's a great time just to say dig in on stuff. Um, dig in on topics because we, you know we can we talk about you know specifics contracts and whatever, but but you have a perspective that like Ian and I don't have, a lot of the fans don't have, um, and you know it, but playing you 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 have played in a World Series game, you have pitched in a World Series game, you have pitched on a major league. I pitched on a major league mound in the media game. But I don't yeah. think it's the same, right, Ian? Although I yeah. do give I do give a mean stink eye when someone doesn't make a good play, right? Correct. Yeah, I've been the recipient <laughs> of that. Yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, so this this is the topic of today, 
which is, you know, what's it take to have the balls to pitch to basically like perform on this biggest stage? And, you know, we've, we've talked about this, Rich, about guys getting taken out and, and, you know, you don't know about the guy who you bring it in, if they can function as well as the other guy in in analytics and we can get it into all of that. We witnessed it last night. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Right. And so, but you know, you watch these games, you've been there. It doesn't feel different when you're actually in this, you understand this is the end of the season this is the most important time. And if you don't perform that yep. this, this seven month journey is going to fall off a cliff. And, and, and is there a difference in terms of have you, can you look at without naming names, can you look around the field and understand this guy understands that and can function and this guy can. Yeah, no, you can, you can definitely see that. And I think one thing that with the postseason, as the postseason begins and, and, and this might sound, you know, a little bit backwards, but uh, it certainly is the pressure in the division series is is extremely, I believe it's higher than it is in the World Series uh, because, you know, you are, you know, when, when you finally get to the World Series and you're the final two teams, you're like, we just went through this gauntlet to get here. And it's like, okay, we're here and, and we have, what do we have to lose? We have nothing to lose. And the, the entire time that you're going through the division series or the championship series to get to the World Series and being able to do that two years in a row and understanding, wow, this is, you know, this is an incredible feeling and, and it's, it's, it's so addicting, you, you know, you, you, when you have that opportunity to get there. And, and I can only speak to playing in the World Series because, you know, haven't won one yet, but still in search of that. Um, but I think that when you see how much you have to go through to get through the season and you get to the division series and then you're like, wow, okay, you know, you got to win 11 games to, to, you know, raise that trophy. So how are we going to be able to navigate through this? And the, the pressure that I think guys feel when you realize, okay, the lights come on and it's like the introductions and it's like, okay, well, we're, or just even going to the ballpark, you're going to the ballpark and you know, it's a different day. It's not, it's not a 162, you know, it's not during the regular season. It's not, you know, a game in July or, 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 you know, the beginning of the season in April. Um, it just has a different type of, of feel about it, the weight, the gravity and everything, but the separator for guys that can perform, under the lights when they're the brightest is, is understanding that you have, you have nothing to lose that you have that mindset, but you also are an elite performer who puts everything on the line every time they get the opportunity to perform. So the more consistent you are with that attitude throughout 162 in the off season, you know, that's where it begins in my opinion with your work and the workload that you're doing um, preparing for spring training, which then it carries over into spring training. And every time that you, you can uh, put yourself in that position of, uh, you know, uh, I, I always just say, you know, put pedal to the metal. So it's just like balls to the wall, going as hard as you can for as long as you can. Um, you understand when you get to that situation in the postseason, you've already done it. You've done it so many times so that the, the, the side uh, that separates those guys is, is obviously the work and, and the preparation that goes in with that mindset and that attitude, but then it, it becomes, what do you want to remember in 10 years or 15 years or 20 years after you're done with that, with that postseason performance? And that should be the question that every player should ask themselves because it should be, I went for it. And no matter what the outcome is, we're always going to have 
you know, good, bad, or, or whatever, and different outcomes. But you know that at the end of the day that you went for it. And when I say go, when, when I say that is like, you're all in, you know, the pitch from pitcher's perspective, my perspective is that the ball is coming out of your hand the way that you want to. And, you know, you can look back and, and, um, you know, we're not going to be okay with the outcome in a, in a, you know, a negative, um, kind of, you know, in a loss. Uh, but it's, it's a little bit easier to swallow when you know that you did everything that you could. Well, let me ask. So the, the game that I, the, I remember, I, I default to when it comes to you, like nailing it in a big moment, um, is that world series game with the Dodgers mm-hmm. against the Red Sox. So Ian and I were both there eating 800 Dodger dogs, you know, <laughs> uh, literally. I mean, it's, Gotto. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, if it's free, it's for me. But it's uh, – so I'm going to go back to, you know, you, we had talked about this the night before. There was some even doubt that, you know, whether or not you were going to start. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Right, yeah. they basically say, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they had basically said, oh, hey um, – you know, we're we're thinking of maybe doing an opener. Um, mm-hmm. we'll get back to yeah. you. So you went to bed yeah. that night not knowing. Um, so I guess the question is, when you when you get the call, say you're going to start. Like, what's your that morning it, when you get the call that okay, you know what, we're not we're not having this stupid idea of doing an opener. We're going to actually like pitch Rich Hill. When you get <laughs> yeah. that call, what's your mind like? What like is it maybe like? Boom. Okay. All the things that you said, shifting gears, I'm ready to show. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I think that when you prepare for the moment, you know, and, and, I, and I, and I've heard this, I, I, I'm not sure whose quote this is or where it comes from, but when the, you know, you don't have to rise to the occasion, the occasion rises to you. Right. So when you do the preparation, you put in the time, you put in the effort, you put in the work, uh, when that phone call is made, then you're, it's easy to have your mind, um, you know, switch over to, uh, you know, that aggressive, intense, um, you know, uh, relentless mindset that you take when you go out there on the mound. And that's, yes, it is that easy. It is, it is as easy as just, you know, flipping a switch because the work has been done. Now, if we, if we were, would reverse, you know, the time and, and go back to 2007 when I got an opportunity to pitch uh, in the division series with the Cubs, um, you know, my mindset was not as a, Personally, I was not, uh, you know, equipped where where I am at this point in my career, or even you know, five years after. Yeah, you would to go back right. to 2007. That scenario happens where you, you go to bed, you you're waiting to find out if you're going to start. Yeah, you would have been yeah. like it would still would have been in your head even after. Even after. Uh, yeah, I think it would have been right. It would have been tougher to go to sleep. It would have been a little bit more, um, you know, challenging to. Um, you know, just be kind of in the uh, mindset to change over, make that switch uh, to understand, you know, how to get into the mindset of competing. <laughs> um, you know, you're going, going to compete, but there's a difference between, you know, it's like physically being there or mentally and physically being there. So, um, you know, that, that that's one thing that I think, you know, for me personally, over the course of my career and I think other high performers, uh, the separator is the mentality and that mindset that you can, you know, take yourself to another level. And physically, you know, you you might be, 
let's say at a certain point of the season, physically you might be tired, but mentally you can never be tired. And I think that is the separator for, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of high performers. And it's something that can be learned over the course of a uh, career or over the course of a lifetime and in whatever that business is, it doesn't, you know, we don't necessarily have to be talking about sports. I know we're obviously where this is baseball, but it can be with anything. And I think that's something that everybody should know. It's not, you're not born, you know, I don't believe with this innate ability to, you know, become this, uh, you know, fearless competitor. I think it's something that is learned over time. And I think it's something that, um, you know, you, you, you learn from experience and, and also by putting in the work and the time and the effort into, um, you know, the psychology that goes into building, you know, a, a strong uh, mindset to go out and, and perform under extreme conditions. And I think when we look at it in a sense where kids grow up and we dream, we want to play in the World Series and we want to you know, win the World Series and we dream of winning the World Series, it's different than actually getting the opportunity and being put into that scenario. And you're like, oh, wow, you know, the 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 work that has to go in just to get to that point. That's why, like, in, when I'm watching the postseason and guys make a play or they steal a base, I'm like, I hope everybody understands and realizes this just happened in the ALCS or the NLCS like how big that is it's not just like you know oh, i you know he got three hits or you know i saw Vasky get a base hit last night i'm like he got a freaking hit in the world series yeah yeah <laughs> it's awesome well i mean like i mean the ultimate example is dave roberts stealing the base you know and and like yeah. think about like all the things that like this isn't just a stolen base all the things the ramifications all the things that you have to and it all led up to everything that dave roberts had ever learned about stealing a base it was like, right. it's, I'm sure it was going through his head of, I have to check off all these boxes because yeah. everything is leading to this moment. So Ian, you know, you and I have both seen like these sort of guys, right? Yeah. We, you know, we had Beckett on last night and he was just sort of, he was being self-deprecating, but you know, it was, but at the same time, it's like that guy, that guy that we saw in that run in 2007 you know, no one was beating him. No one was beating John Lester in 2013. No one was beating uh, Madison Bumgarner. You know, um, I mean, so there has to be like a constant thread here. Um, and I think, Rich, you probably hit on it, right? It's like these guys, like this is what they, they sort of prepared for. So it's not like they're being dropped in and had a good day. Yeah, right, I, right. Yeah, I mean, the, the best uh, the best I ever saw – in October, there's two guys, one from a pitching perspective, one from hitting, was uh, Kurt, <clears throat> Kurt Schilling as a pitcher in October mm-hmm. was uh, the best I've ever seen. Uh, and I saw him, I covered the 2001 Air- World Series in Arizona when he was at the peak of his powers and he just had everything going for him and he dominated that entire playoff. I saw him in 2004. We all remember the bloody sock uh, pitching on that the, the bad ankle there dominating a great Yankees team, dominating a great St. Louis lineup. And then in 2007, Rob, you remember, this guy was on his last uh, legs here. He was throwing 85, Rich, he was throwing 86, 87 miles an hour on his fastball at the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. And he pitched great in the playoffs. That wound up being the last, uh, he pitched a great game in Anaheim, which he gave Rob the game, the, uh, yeah, I told the story. I don't know if I, I, Rich, I don't know if I ever told you the story. I told it on the podcast the other day about yeah. – about you know so the day before 
and this is going to sort of dovetail with what we're talking about, about preparation. But the day before he has the chilling as the press conference and we get in the elevator after the press conference is day before he could pitch. And he hands me two pieces of paper. I'm like, what is this? And I look at it and it's the written out game plan for the next day. Like, think about this. Uh, right? So it's a written out game plan for the next day. And, you know, I'm like, uh, what do I do with this? But what I did was I fall and Ian, I think maybe he was sitting right next to me and we're follow, yeah. following along with this of like, oh my goodness, you know, Vlad Guerrero, yeah. three, two fastball up in the zone, like, like all this yeah. stuff. Yeah. Oh, you know now, but, but this was, this was another reminder that, that, you know, a lot, so much of this is about preparation. It's not just, right. hey, yeah. you've got balls. He's got yeah. Beckett called a spoonator, which is the the tendon between yeah. your heart and your ball. And your, yeah, he would walk. I remember he would walk around. The, this is the time of year where we get to see who has that vein between your heart and your balls. Yeah, he would walk around the clubhouse and say that. Spoonator, Mike Mordecai. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, but so all of it. Yeah. So anyway, but you know, this is this is what we're. I mean, this is there is a common thread. I think you know. Yeah. No, it's not just. But like they say, oh, October sample size. You can't go too much by October sample size because, you know, that can be a fluke. But at the same time, it's like it feels like to me like the same guys come through every year. And, yeah. um, you know, uh, Schilling was definitely that guy. And he was almost like Brady where, you know, later in his career, um, he might not have the physical tools, but he had all the answers to the tests, so to speak. Right. And he knew what he was going to do. And the other guy is David Ortiz um, in October – like he just didn't feel any pressure. Like he loved. Nah, he yes, there's no better he, example, right? He, he loved to be running to the plate at that situation. He had studied all. The, he's a DH, so he's studying every tendency. He knew exactly what he was going to do against Quantrill, and that at bat mm-hmm. in Game Four in 04, he knew exactly what he was going to do against Benoit in in thirteen. Like he just like he has a bank of knowledge that he goes to, and he's just such a smart hitter. He's so right. prepared, and like some guys shy away from that situation. He like he wanted to be up there, well, and so yeah. he's, he's the best clutch hitter I ever yeah. saw. In the- so, Rich, an interesting guy that you played with, which I'm anxious to sort of get your perspective of, is Kershaw, right? Yeah. So yeah. this is an example of a guy who was catching a lot of heat for not performing, and then he right. does perform. From you, and you again, you unlike you and, and myself, like we are, we're not teammates of this guy. I don't know, I right. don't know him at all, but you do. So I'd be interested yeah. to get your perspective of like how that shifts, and or maybe is it just like a bad rap that he was getting, or maybe it's what you were talking about when you're younger, you just aren't equipped like you are when you get older. Yeah, I think uh, you know, I, I obviously speak to him as a teammate and see how he prepared. And I think with, with, uh, you know, Clayton uses the ultimate competitor. Um, when you look at a guy and his, and, and his, the way he prepares every single day, I mean, it's, 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 it's religious in a, in a, in a sense. And I think a lot of guys are, I mean, I know, you know, for myself and the way I go about my business, I, I wouldn't be still playing at 42 and, and, you know, without having a, a really good regimen and a, a really good work ethic. Um, but with him, you know, when he got between the lines and it was time to go out there and perform, uh, you know, he was relentless and he had that, uh, book of knowledge to pull from, um, you know, obviously as he continued to get older and, or as he does continue to get older and, and, and perform in the postseason. I think when we start breaking down, um, you know, outings and we look at 
certain outings and and maybe saying that guys were not getting it done or or um, you know not coming through in the postseason. It's just the sample size is so small, right? Yeah. And if you have a good game, you know it's wow, you know this is this is amazing. Or or you know it, you really have to look at the game and find out you know were there did they not perform because they let the moment get to them or did they not perform because of, wow, that hit got through. That was a blue pit. Now, 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 you know, this is getting a little bit more nitpicky, but um, I really think that part of that has to come into the equation, um, you know, with the, with the misfortune of, of getting in, you know, a couple hits there, or there, you know, a few hits falling in, or, you know, you can really see it when guys get on base. If you're not paying attention to the runners, uh, you know, it's kind of turns into a track meet, especially in the postseason. And, you know, I liked what Ian said when, when David would, you know, when the postseason came around, he, you know, he was running to the plate because he knew that, in, you know, and I can only guess, but, you know, I would assume that he loved putting it all on the line and knew that, you know, hey, I'm not outcome oriented. You know, I'm not going to be caught up in the results. I, I really love and enjoy the, the largest stage because I bring my best. And, you know, obviously he brought his best during the season, but everybody's tuning in and you're under that microscope in the postseason because it's such a, you know, obviously it, it much more on the line, but it's such a small sample size. So when you do perform, you become, you know, much, you know, much more, um, I guess looked at as as a as a peak performer in in big situations, and you know we've we've been able to see that with Clayton, um, you know especially over I, I know when I was there in LA he had some great postseason games. So um, and then you know obviously in the last couple of years he's had some great postseason games. I think he might be you know him and Verlander are one and two all time in innings and and strikeouts. Um, so I think it's a little unfair to you know. I, you know, I think getting off of the the Schneid and, and winning a World Series in 2020 was huge. Um, and Price was uh, the but, same way, by the way. David Price was the yeah. same way. Just going to say that, Rob. Yeah. 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 And, and, I mean, but, this is, the narrative changes pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And But, I mean, just the – and you can see it. It's just it, – it, the, the, uh, I think when you have somebody like that, everybody looks to that guy in the postseason. They do. They look to David. Uh, you know, they look to Clayton. They, they look to, uh, you know, big time players, you know, you look to a Bryce Harper, Hey, that's our leader. This is our guy. This is a guy who, you know, is going to come through in a big moment or step up for us when we need it the most. Um, and then everybody else kind of feeds off of that as well. And you don't have to do anything. I mean, I mean, you don't have to say anything, but the way you go about your business and the consistency you go about your business during the season will feed over into the postseason and make that, uh, you know, understanding of that. I did my homework. So, you know, when you get that paper from Kurt Schilling and, you know, here's the game plan for the day before he did his homework, he's doing his homework. He is understanding what it takes when the, when the assignment is handed to him. Um, and now physically going out there and performing is understanding how to get your emotions under control. Right. And being able to separate, you know, a base hit from a walk, from a strikeout, from striking out the side to giving up a home run to getting back into the, you know, the moment and staying in the moment and understanding that that is what you're doing in postseason games is just having, you know, if you throw a hundred pitches, you have a hundred different moments. So mm -hmm. you're trying to keep everything, you know, carp, you know, just break everything down so you can make it as simple as possible 
and understand when you do that, it, it, you know, you can look back after, you know, six, seven innings, maybe a complete game and, and, and say, okay, now I, now I understand how to pitch in the postseason. Well, another part of this equation is, is you have a grasp of it. You have a handle of it. I love what you just said about, you know, you have a hundred pitches, you have a hundred moments. Like that's a great way to look at it. And, and now we get into sort of the, well, does that, does everyone understand it? By everyone, I mean front offices, managers, and, and when the debate mm-hmm. comes around about the Blake Snell or in your case, mm-hmm. yeah. the Dodgers, when those debates come around, the, the, the differ, the, the part that's going to separate it from the regular season conversation is an easy one for me anyway. It's, yeah, you can talk about, X time through the order, you can talk about matchups, whatever. But at everything that we've been talking about, you have to factor in, is the guy who is jogging in from the bullpen going to be able to do all the things that you said and perform like you have for the last, by the way, five, six innings? And we, because that is, you are basically taking one known and you're replacing them with an unknown. And I Am I am I like this is this is a huge, huge part of this equation, which it baffles me that really smart people don't fact or at least to this point haven't factored in enough. Right. Well, I I think it's the eye test, too. And, you know, that's that's what comes into. So the experience and everything that you have put certain people into positions of uh, managing a team or coaching a team uh, in certain departments, that's what you're relying on. And you're going to rely on that experience that they have in the game. And they're going to draw from that experience um, in those huge moments of the season. And that's, you know, we play 162, not to come out of it and have a great record and be like, you know, number one in all of baseball and then, you know, not win the World Series. That's not why we play 162. We play to get into the postseason to win the damn World Series. That's why we get into it. And, um, you know, I think when you see a situation, and this is just what happened last night, I believe it was with Alvarez, is that correct? Um, Yeah. Who came into the game, and he hadn't pitched in five days. Um, You know, the first pitch, you know, he drives it, you know, right, right in, right into, uh, right into his back uh, uh, with bases loaded to kind of start that rally um, in the sixth inning that, that, or the, was it the sixth inning, right? Sixth inning that led to uh, five runs. Yeah. Yeah, Which led to five runs, but you know, now had he pitched, I'm, I'm a big believer of this is kind of like, and it's difficult in the postseason. It's just, or excuse me, in the world series. And this is going to kind of contradict what I, what I said earlier, where, and, and I didn't really finish my thought, but when you get to the world series, you're the final two teams and you, and you're just kind of like sitting there. It's like, this is it. It's, you know, everybody's watching us. Yes, that's great. But you've already gone through this, like, you know, gauntlet of, of, of experience to get to the point of the world series and all those emotions that you have in the beginning, the excitement, you know, there might be some, you know, tentative uh, motions that you can, you can lean on some older guys to kind of draw from their experience so that that makes you a little bit more calm and okay, if he can do it, I can do it kind of idea. Um, but when you get into the, the scenario of, of, you know, is the guy coming out of the bullpen going to be better than the guy that I have on the mound? Um, that that's the question that has to be asked, I think, by by the coaches, by the manager. Is who if if, if you know 
the guy on the mound, if he is pitching, you know, lights out and you're not seeing any kind of issues that are happening or any kind of decline in the performance, um, you know, you really have to use the eye test. And I understand that analytics and, you know, the, the numbers and, and can work through 162, but it is different in the postseason. It does, you know, and, and I, being a witness to it and seeing it and living it, I know that, you know, you need guys that can perform, that can, can, uh, will perform under the brightest lights. And it really comes down to, you know, finding a guy in, you know, we hear it all the time. Oh, he has no pulse. He has no pulse. Um, you want those guys in, in those, in those spots because they can perform without having that moment get too big. And you can see it sometimes with guys that, you know, and, and, and it might, it might happen in a reaction, you know, and, and, and if you look at the reaction, like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. It's like, okay, well maybe, maybe the moment, you know, you did get through it, you were able to get that guy out or you were able to get the base hit or whatever. But some guys you see, they, they're just like, you know, water off a duck. It's just kind of like, yeah, that was, I, I put the work in, I put the time in, I'm not going to overreact to a situation because it's not about me. It's about the team, you know? Yeah. So when you start seeing reactions that are bigger and more focused on an individual, that's something that, I mean, I, I that's the way I look at it. And I, and I think, you know, you get a little bit, a little bit, you, you don't want to, as they say, no one individual is bigger than the team. So I think that, that that's, you know, what it breaks down to me uh, as far as in, in those situations. I know I kind of went off, went off the path no, no. a little bit, but Go ahead um, that, that, that's the one thing that, that I see. And I think bringing in, you know, the eye test is huge in, in the postseason yeah. and having guys that can handle the situation. It doesn't show up on paper and you can't quantify it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel for these managers today because, you know, they're, they're talking to their analytics groups and they have so much information to go through. Um, Rob and I have been lucky in our careers to cover, I think, two of the best postseason managers ever and Terry Francona and uh, Alex Cora. These guys just have such a great feel of mixing the numbers, but also, like you said, having a feel for the game, knowing who to bring in. Like Terry Francona, the, one of the underrated parts of that, uh, when they came back from 03 and – 2004, he pushed every right button in the bullpen. He knew who to bring in, when to bring them in. And, uh, you know, that, that game, that game you pitched, Rich, in 18, I'll never forget that day. I mean, it was just like you were dominant. Like, they, they weren't touching you. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, Dave comes out, and it's, you know, it's probably just like a little bit um, analytics-driven that we should take him out here. And I just – I I'll never forget the look on your face when when Moreland hit the three run homer. You just had this look of like, kind of like you knew, like you kind of knew the series was not that you were blaming Dave, but you you kind of knew this that you guys had your opportunity to get back into the series. And, and the Red Sox just uh, they had that moment with that Moreland homer, and they just they stole back the momentum right there. They kind of they never gave it back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's you know it's tough to it's tough to like you said the when you have. Uh, there's just so many groups that are involved into making a decision as opposed to, okay, well, you know, this is, you know, this is our guy. This is who we put in this position to make these decisions. And we're going to trust that the decisions are going to be made, you know, appropriately. And I think that's, that's one thing that, you know, with too many cooks in the kitchen, sometimes I think it's hard to get to, uh, you know, the answer of, okay, what does this look like in the postseason? Yes. Like I said before, 162, I think it, 
it, it serves a purpose. But when you get in the postseason, you know, we see bunting, we see stealing, we see guys going the other way, we see guys sacrificing themselves um, and not questioning, you know, what it's all for because everybody knows it's for a World Series. Well, Jimmy, go ahead, Ian. I was just going to say, you know, Kevin Cash is one of the best managers any of us know, but just watching that game with Snell, I think all of America just wanted to kind of tear their hair out when he came out because we all wanted to see a game seven. Yeah. It was like, uh, yeah. kind of this, this decision just kind of robbed us but, of kind of seeing a game seven. Yeah, so we had Joe talking to Joe Madden about a month or so ago, and he was talking about that. And, you know, he basically insinuated, we asked about Kevin Cash situation. He's like, yeah, this and that's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. And, um, but he said flat out, he's like, in this day and age, manager, the game starts, there's too many voices in his head. So uh, that's and when you when you put it that way, that's a daunting thing. Now, I think that the managers that we're talking about, like they have a really good way of sifting through what's what. And and another part about this, and I don't have any evidence of of like the dynamic, but look at two managers of recent history that have gotten on heaters: Alex Cora and Rob Thompson. Mm-hmm. Who who was the guy overseeing them? Like. Dave right. Dombrowski, right? Yeah. And so I'm not saying that, you know, that Dave Dombrowski or, you know, Sam Folds there as well. And I'm not saying that they're saying, hey, don't worry about the analytics. But I got to, and you guys tell me if, I, if I'm off base on this. I got to think that Dombrowski has gone through enough of this where he sort of understands when you get to the postseason, the best way to approach your manager is probably this way, which is give him just enough but this is his ball game. And and I know that Cora really liked Dombrowski. I know that, you know, Thompson, obviously, like he's doing a great job. And both these guys are gut guys. So I, am I off base, you think? or? I mean, I don't think so. I covered Dombrowski. Um, I saw him with Detroit. I, I saw him with Florida. When a guy gets his team to five World Series over a period of like 25 years, you know, he, he's, he's doing something right the way he runs his team. And he's not as old school as people think because he does have analytics departments and he had this with the Red Sox. They do, Dave just isn't involved in it much himself, but he does know the importance of it. And he's one of the best I've seen at kind of um, balancing it all and not letting the game pass him by. And that's why, you know, some people wondered if he'd ever get another job after the Red Sox let him go because it was such a weird thing. And, you know, here he is in another World Series. So I think that he is definitely a clear example um, of a guy who can navigate the new, the new world, you know, a, a GM who can navigate the new world that baseball is in. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't know. I think, I think uh, again, it, it, like I said before, when you have the postseason comes around, it, it is just, it's, it's, it is different. And, you know, like I said before, when, it, when I say that it is different, um, it, it really relies on your recall and the season recall. And then also, you know, Guys that just can put the bat on the ball, guys that are contact guys, not home run guys. Not mm-hmm. you know, obviously the home run is very important in the postseason. Yeah, look at Bregman, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Look, at, look at that whole inning right. last night. The Astros had a, a buddy of mine texted me and said, "Contact." You know, it's just like yeah, contact. So yeah, guys that are yeah. making contact. You know, that's it. Twenty-seven. You got twenty-seven outs. How many times can you put the ball in play? And if you can put the ball in play, you know, you can put the ball in play as you know, uh, as many times as you can, you're going to have a chance in the postseason. The team that makes the least mistakes wins. 
um, you know, the team that is, uh, you know, um, uh, just engaged in the game is going to have a better chance of winning. Um, and what I mean by that engaged in the game is that you're focused on the game. You're not focused on anything else, the crowd, whatever else is going on, you know, uh, national TV, I, you know, all these other things that could be possibly popping in your head. Um, even, even the outcomes. So if you have the teams that are remove themselves from the outcome and just focus in on, okay, I'm in this moment as a boxer in a ring. I don't think a boxer is thinking about the end of the fight. I think a boxer is thinking about how am I going to get to the next punch without getting knocked out? Uh, or how am I going to knock this guy out? Uh, you know, before he comes at me or whatever, whatever the mindset is of a boxer, but we can put ourselves kind of in that mindset and understand, okay, it's, it's mano y mano and, you know, here it is. I'm bringing my best. And those are the guys that you want. You want the guys that bring their best every single time because you know you're going to have a chance to win. Yeah, it's a great perspective. I love that. Another great analogy by you. Excellent job, Rich. The, um, but, you know, so the last thing is, is it, I, this is just top of mind for me because I just wrote about it. You know, so as we sit here, Christian Vasquez – just became the second catcher to catch a World Series no hitter, and I and you can make the argument that it was more impressive than the other one because he had to navigate four different pitchers to do it right. And mm-hmm. so um, my thing is like it's always been baffling to me how much money guys can make in a two week span, mm-hmm. and right. And so this is a real like everybody who is like claps back at me about this. I got plenty of examples that of, of like, this is smart people get seduced by the here and the now, you know, that I wrote about it today, like in the Red Sox point of view, which we were covering Pablo Sandoval. I had an executive say, well, he, after he won, after they signed him to the big contract, after he had an OPS of low seven hundreds, well, he won the World Series MVP. He's good on the big stage, and every day is the big stage in Boston. Oh, God. This is a smart person telling me this, right? Yeah. Nathan Ovaldi, Joe Kelly. Obviously, you know, they've gone on to good stuff, but they doubled their contracts off of two and a half weeks. I mean, I think yeah, that's, right. that's inarguable. And so right. with Vasquez, you look at it, this was his second start in the playoffs, second start. He had a 500-something OPS with the Astros and what, a 38 games with the Astros. Clearly, like, since he left the Red Sox, it wasn't trending well in terms of his maximum value in a free agent. But, 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 now you come (laughs) away from that moment, and all of a sudden, you're going to have front offices saying, look at the way, look at what this guy did in this game. And because we heard it after the game, and you watched it. Oh, emotionally, he was there. You know, strategically, he was there. Physically, he was there. It's everything that you want in a catcher, and he yeah. did it on the biggest stage. He made himself money. That 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 is a fact. So I, my guess, my question I'm asking, Rich, is do players understand this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. And when you look at the teams that are going to be in the market for players who can perform in the postseason – those are the teams that want to go to the postseason. <laughs> so it really, I mean, you know, the guys that perform in the in the in the in the postseason in October, especially in the World Series, you're going to be attracting, you know, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, the Cubs, um, you know, big market teams, the Cardinals. Uh, if you want to throw them in there as as a as a you know one of the 
uh, bigger market baseball teams. Um, and I think that that's something, you know, is, is obviously hopefully widening as, as we go into this off season, but you see, you know, when guys go out there and they do perform in, in, in the biggest situations, uh, there's a reason why, you know, clubs want those guys because they know they can do it in that situation. They've proved it. And there's, and again, it goes back to sample size. It's a small sample size of being able to do it. And, uh, you know, that they know that, and when I say they, the clubs know that when those guys perform in the postseason in the World Series, that they're getting somebody that's going to bring that experience into their clubhouse, into their locker room, and give a little bit uh, of a sense of peace to some of the guys that may have, you know, some trepidation who have not done it in the postseason, um, and bring that leadership during the season uh, and a steady hand that that other players can look at and say, oh, okay, well, this guy's proven himself in the postseason, and this is how he goes about his business. So there must be something that he is doing that is correct. Mm-hmm. And now you see other guys going to do that, um, you know, that are, uh, that are observing that player, and, and, you know, they will find success, I believe, um, through observation. Um, but when you watch Vasky, uh, you know, obviously perform in the postseason and postseasons um, in the past. You know, he brings that. He has that, like, you know, I, you know, uh, you know, I don't give a shit attitude uh, to the to the to the game when he goes out there. And uh, what I mean by that is that I'm here. I am. This is what I have. Take it or leave it. Whatever. I'm going to leave everything on the field. And again, it comes back to the that mentality of the of the boxer. I'm I'm coming at you. And, you know, whether you're ready or not, I don't care. Here it is. And we watch him play, um, you know, right now in this postseason, and he has that attitude. You know, if he, if he misses a ball, he missed the ball last night, whatever. Who cares? Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it hit off his leg and hit the umpire. Okay, give me another ball. Get the ball, throws it back, right back into the next pitch. He's not phased by like, oh, you know, like, because something didn't go his way. He has control of his emotions and he also understands how to perform, you know, in that situation with that attitude. It's all about that attitude, about that aggressive attitude, that intensity. And it's a focused intensity um, that when the game is over and, and, you know, the final out is made in a a postseason game, you know, again, you just go back to saying, I did everything I could. That's Mm -hmm. it. And it's very simple. Uh, Getting to that point is different, but that's the mindset at the end of it. I like how we tied all this together. I feel right. <laughs> am, am I missing an example? But you're really good at. Re- I got a I got a great example, Rob. Um, <laughs> Derek Lowe in 2004 uh, had a had like a five and a half ERA during the regular season, and he was a free agent. And he actually got Terry Francona and Theo Epstein told him right before the playoff started that he was out of the rotation, and he threw a he threw kind of a hissy fit, and uh, Veritek kind of reeled him back in. And then he had just this epic postseason where he became the first person to win uh, three World Series clinching game, all three World Series clinching games. And like, how much money did he make himself? Oh, from the Dodgers, seven, right? Yeah. Game seven at Yankee Stadium on two days rest. He six innings, one run. Uh, game four in St. Louis, it was I think seven shutout innings, the clinching game. And uh, he was he told me when I was writing the book on the 04 Red Sox that uh, in his free agent year he was having such a, a bad year that. He was like, I'm fl- I'm flushing millions of dollars down the toilet every time I pitch. You know that was that he said that was actually going through his mind. And then in October he got it he got it all back. He got a, 
who would have thought at the beginning of that playoffs he was going to get a four-year deal it was something like you know 40 something million dollars at the time but yeah he did it largely based on that postseason and it turned out to be a, a good contract for him uh, and for the Dodgers because uh, he proved to be that guy yeah you know, and I think I think sometimes it's in, in in that case correct me if I'm wrong I believe it there was an extra inning game and he was forced to come in right yeah. and he pitched yeah. really really well you know the last game against the Angels yeah. right and so he, he gets back on the track. And, you know, and like I said, with Vasquez, I mean, this was the second game he had started in the postseason, the second game. But right. all of a sudden now, like, you have to think if you're Houston, well, okay, you know, is it maybe maybe we look at this guy a little bit differently than we did heading in? I don't know. But listen, Rich, we've taken up way too much of your time. I appreciate it. Uh, that's what, this is what happens. We talk baseball. We I know, know, right? <laughs> this is good. So it's – um. I look forward to this. This is this is all this is therapeutic. It's fun and and I do think not to sound sappy and uh, but I do think that that some maybe some parents and some people will be able to listen to these and sort of come away with a better perspective of things. Um, yeah, which is yeah. you know which is a valuable thing. I mean, it's you know we we talk so much about contracts and and the drama, which we should because that's our business. But at the same time, it's like it's important. That you know these guys that some people are led down the right road, and you, and you yeah. are the Pied Piper when it comes to uh, to to uh, down the right road. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, well, I think I I have some topics for the next ones. We gotta we gotta right. mull over those about uh, the professionalization of uh, little league and uh, oh, keeping yeah. kids uh, away from oh. uh, pitching for uh, you know more than uh, five months out of a season out of a year and keep baseball yeah, baseball yeah. season too. <laughs> Ian, uh, you have firmly entrenched yourself as a anytime you want to come on players only players only Thursdays. Okay, you are you you are officially a co-host with myself, Rich Hill, and a somebody. I <laughs> uh, love love to come on anytime. This was uh this is one of those things that just flew by, even though we were on for a long time. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was a lot of fun talking with you guys. Yeah. yeah. All right, guys. All right. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Ian. In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of the Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field, and then I, uh, I look over at my dad, and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Choose stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it.